0: Amen. What an amazing reunion that's going to be, friends. I don't want to miss out. It's going to be an awesome, awesome event. Several years ago, when I first had my encounter with God, I knew nothing about Christianity, and it was such a profound experience, it, it, it rattled me. And I grabbed the Bible and I opened it up, and the first question I ask is, what do you want with me? I was a very wicked person, very evil, but yet God had his eye upon me and wanted to make sure I understood something, and that was the purpose for which he created me. Over this last few weeks, I've been thinking about this. Why did God create humanity I've been asking different people and the first reaction I would get is that's an interesting question why did God create humanity why do you think he created us I'd get different responses back some would say well you know God is love and therefore in order for love to be loved there has to be an object to express its love upon so he he had to create something Well, yeah that sounds good all right all right well, because God it wants to have a relationship, and uh, that's why he created us. Okay, well, that's that's good. I said, but what, that doesn't sound like the sole purpose for which God created humanity. Now, this is pretty amazing. Usually, we do this near the end of the service, but I, I, put, I put a quote in the bulletin. I want you to open your bulletin. I want to read this quote with you. Of course, in Genesis 127, it says, God was created in man's image, and. or in God's image, in God's likeness. But what does that mean? So let's read it together. This comes from the book Education, page 15, and if you've never read the book, I encourage you to pick up the book and read the book. It's amazing. When Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. God created man in his own image, and it was his purpose Okay? It was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of the creator. All his faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart communion with his maker was his high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, All this would have been his forever. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, and to obtain clear and yet clear conceptions of the wisdom and the power and love of God. More and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation. More and more fully have reached the creator's glory. Did you ever imagine that? Did you ever understand, friends? This is profound that you and I were created for the purpose to continuously grow in the likeness of God. Where are we today? How far we have fallen from that original purpose. But there's hope. Let's pray. Loving Father, as we open your word this morning, as we reflect on the the path that you have drawn out, that you have set in place, for us to be brought full circle back to that place for which you ordained our purpose of existence. Help us understand, Lord. May your Holy Spirit lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Though sin had marred the divine likeness of man, his physical powers weakened, his mental capacity lessened, his spiritual vision dimmed, there was hope. Turn with me to um, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul would come to understand this hope. And I would suggest to you today that Romans chapter 1 verse 1 just that very verse is the foundation for the whole book of Romans of course we could spend a week two weeks months studying this out but I have this little segment of time so I'll do my best to give you what I have Romans 1 1 it says Paul a servant of who? Jesus Christ Paul a servant of Jesus Christ now how did Paul become a servant of Jesus Christ was he always a servant of Jesus Christ how did he become a servant go with me to uh, Acts chapter 9 let's let's look at a little bit of his story here just the, the opening of his conversion experience Acts chapter 9 You see, it. I've come to understand that it's very important for us un- to understand the purpose of why God has created us so we'd understand the purpose of the gospel. If we don't understand that, friends, we could buy into a false gospel. Paul would have to contend with this a lot in his life. He was dealing with a false experience himself. He thought that he was serving God and it says here, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went on to the high priest, and he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he didn't care, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now does it sound like he was serving God? He was in the church, friends. Think about this for a moment. Just because we're in the church doesn't mean we're serving the right master. He thought he was serving the right master. On his way, it says, As he journeyed, he came from Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You see, Paul grew up in the church. Paul went to the institutions of education of that day Paul was a Pharisee he understood the law of God I mean he is a health reformer he paid his tithe he went to church on the right day but all of that did not constitute him a servant of Jesus Christ Paul had to make a decision when he come to understand what was truth Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life And he would come to that experience and that encounter with the living Christ and now he could clearly choose. Perhaps up into that point in his life, he thought he was choosing the right way. But when you read that first verse there in chapter 9, it's hard to believe that he was choosing the right way. To persecute people that do not think your way, to believe as you believe, is not how God does things. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, he would submit, he would choose that day whom he would believe in. You know, on the day of Pentecost, a sermon was preached, the devout Jews, they were devout Jews that gathered together. But Peter and would tell them, hey, you crucified Christ. All of you that were devout and sincere in heart You're the ones that did it. You crucified the Son of God. And they would ask the same thing. What should we do? And he'd say, repent and believe the gospel. You see, Jesus tells us that there's two masters, friends, that we can serve. We'll either hate the one and love the other or despise the one and cling to the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, we cannot serve God and selfish ambition. We cannot serve God and the world. Doesn't work like that. God will not accept the service of a divided heart. And it's clear in Romans 6.16, it says that, to whom you yield yourself a servant to obey, that's whom you are a servant to. So it depends on what buffet you eat from reveals who you are a servant to. In the book of Desire of the Ages, I praise God for the prophet of the Lord. Praise God for the gift of prophecy that we have. It says this, no man can serve two masters. We cannot serve God with a divided heart. Bible religion is not one influence among many others. Its influence is to be supreme, pervading and controlling every other. It is not to be like a dash of color brushed here and there upon the canvas, but it is to pervade the whole life. Everything about us, the gospel, is to touch. As if the canvas were dipped into color until every thread and fabric were dyed a deep unfading hue. She goes on to say, if therefore thy eye be single, in other words, if our eye is single, to truly serving God and no other, our whole body will be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Purity and steadfastness of purpose are the conditions of receiving light from God. Think about this purity and steadfastness. are the conditions upon learning, receiving light from God. In other words, in John 7:17, 7, when God said that he that wills to do my will, he'll know what I'm teaching. He'll know the teaching. He'll know the way. So it lies within our own heart, within us, ourselves, to make the decision, do I want to walk in the way of God or am I just curious about what he has to say about the direction I'm to go in life? Do I really want to know what the gospel is to do for me? Or am I just curious in how it's supposed to happen? Because only then can there be a transformation of our lives. He who desires to know the truth must be willing to accept all that it reveals, she goes on to say. He can make no compromise with error. To be wavering and half-hearted in allegiance to truth is to choose the darkness of error and satanic delusion. So I'm going to read that last part again. To be wavering and half-hearted in allegiance to truth is to choose the darkness of error and satanic delusion. Continuing, worldly policy and the undeviating principles of righteousness do not blend into each other imperceptibly like the colors of, of the rainbow. Between the two, a broad, clear line is drawn by the eternal God. The likeness of Christ stands out as distinct from that of Satan as midday in contrast with midnight, and only those who live the life of Christ are his co-workers. If one sin is cherished in the soul or one wrong practice retained in the life, the whole being is contaminated. That man becomes an instrument of unrighteousness. You see, it's so important for us to understand the purpose of the gospel because It calls us to repentance. It calls us to turn away from our old ways and evil practices and wrong choices in life. It calls us to surrender the life to God, the whole heart, fully and completely. It calls us not to put any confidence in the flesh, but to be as Abraham, to believe in the promise of God and not to stagger, but to believe what God has said or to be fully persuaded that he's able to do it. When he said, I can redeem you, I can restore you, as it's said in 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness, just not some. God wants to cleanse the whole being. He wants to restore the whole man. Romans 8, 32 is an inclusive statement, just as John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That embraces the whole world. The atonement embraces the whole world. In Romans 8.32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, not just a certain class of people, but all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things, all things pertaining to life and godliness? Then in John 10.10, Jesus tells us that the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy but he promised i come to give you life and life more abundantly recently i was doing a bible study with a young man and uh, he's been struggling with his own identity struggling a little bit to be a christian to choose christ fully and completely and so he's playing these different video games and and i told him i said you know what Uh, does the video game what does it promote he didn't really want to share too much about that. But what I did know is it, it wasn't good for him. And he'd go in and he'd, he'd hide in his room, and sometimes he'd shut the door, and when mom and dad weren't listening, when they, they couldn't see what he was doing, he's playing the video game. And I asked him, when you're doing that, can, who can see you? Well, God can see me. I said, does he know what you're doing? Yes, he knows what I'm doing. I said, is it a good thing? Well, he didn't want to talk about that. <clears throat> You see, I explained to him that this is how it is in life. We get to choose our master, and that's revealed based upon what we're feeding ourselves. If we're feeding from the things of the world that promote worldliness and crime and violence and morality, lies, murder and betrayal, then we're feeding from the enemy's table. But God has given us Philippians four eight that tells us that what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are holy or just. If there's anything excellent and good of report, and these things, think on these things. There's a filter there for us. And the young boy said to me, "He says, well, Pastor, he says, you know, I'm going to this, this meeting, this gathering, and they're going to be playing paintball." He says, is that bad? You know, Jesus would also do this. He would ask a question when he was asked the question. I didn't want to tell him if it was bad. I wanted him to tell me if it was bad or if it was good. So I asked him. I said, well, when you're pointing a gun at somebody, what are you thinking about doing? Okay, pastor, I get it. It wasn't very difficult. He understood. You see... Friends, let us never be deceived here. In Genesis 6, 5, it says that God looked upon the wickedness of man, and he saw that every imagination of the thought was evil continuously. It does not say in that verse that they were going out and committing these acts of violence and crime and immorality. It just said they're Their imagination of their thought was evil continuously. See, Satan only has to have the thoughts going in that direction. He doesn't care if we come to church. He doesn't care if we sing praise to God. He doesn't care if we we pay our tithe and and we we eat right and we worship on the right day. If he can keep your mind going in the channel that he desires it to go in, then he wins. And you know, friends, he's had 6,000 years to study the human mind, And he's come to know it well. And in these last days, he's linking the human mind with his own in such a subtle way that we and those that buy into it, if we buy into it, we don't even realize we're being led by him. He wants to confuse the mind and mislead. Well, praise God. I encouraged the young man. I said, look, go and talk to God about your struggle. He invites us. Come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, If you're willing, isn't that beautiful? If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat of the good of the land. Yes, friends, the very first step that we take in returning back in the journey home is you have to make a decision. Who are you going to serve? Is it going to be self? Is it going to be sin? If so, then we are actually serving the enemy, but we can be a servant of Jesus Christ, and it gives us freedom because when you serve the Lord, when you're, no matter what you're doing vocation wise, no matter what you're doing at home or what you're doing in the church, it's, it's not drudgery because you're serving God. The Bible tells us in Colossians, whatsoever you do, do it as do it heartily as unto the Lord. Do it with a good attitude, with joy and thanksgiving, that you have an opportunity to reflect God's glory. Praise God. We have that opportunity. Paul, called to be a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be. Called to be. And as he's giving the salutation, he's saying, i I was called to be an apostle. But friends, we're all called to be a Christian. Is that true? Isn't that invitation to the whole world? Yes or no? Absolutely. It's all-inclusive. It invites everybody. Everybody's called. But the whole heart must be yielded to God or the change can never be wrought in us, which we are to be restored into his image, you see. Let me ask you, who gets to define how that relationship works? When you're called into this relationship with God, who who gets to define it? I was sitting down talking to some people just recently, and I asked them. I said, when you have children, and you're raising those children in your home, who gets to define the boundaries and guidelines that defines that this is a happy and safe family? Who does that, the parent or the child? I tried doing it when I was a little kid. It didn't work very well, you know. My mom took me out back and explained to me how it works at home. Yes, it's the parent. And I asked them, they said, well, we do. I I would do that, and I said, why? And they said, well, of course, as you said, the parent. Yeah, that's right, that makes sense, right? Who created us? Did we create ourselves? No, Jesus created us. So who gets to define the relationship? Do my feelings get to define this relationship? How I feel God is to love me and how it's supposed to work? Does that work? Is culture to define the relationship? Is a governing body supposed to define the relationship? The government supposed to define it? No. Christ and Christ alone gets to define it. You know, this was the problem Satan had. He wanted to define the relationship. In Isaiah, when it says there in chapter 12, that he wanted to exalt his throne above the stars of God, a throne represents a seat of authority, a seat of responsibility. Basically, what he is saying, Lord, there's something, there, God, there's something wrong with your government. There's something wrong with your law. There's something wrong with you. And you know what? I can do this better. I have a better way of defining the relationship between myself and all these other created beings. And that caused rebellion in heaven. You see, he's trying to sow that same philosophical lie into the minds of people today, and many buy into it. In Romans one twenty-five, it tells us there, He who changed, speaking of a group of people who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature, creature, and I thought about that for a moment. Well, Satan's a created being. You know, a lot of people unbeknown to them, they actually are bowing down and serving them and worshiping him because they're buying into his lie. They change the truth of God into a lie and they worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. You see, God gets to set up the standards, friends, in which we are to live by. In Matthew 7, 13, and 14, it says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, right? And broad is the way. And many there go in at. But straight is the gate and narrows the way that leads into everlasting life. But few be there that find it. In Matthew chapter 22, speaking about the, the marriage supper that all the people were invited to, in verse 5 it says, many, they were just, they didn't have no desire for it. They found no interest in it. They were they found no time to go. So God sent his servants out to get more people. And at the end of that story, it says, many are called, but few are chosen. You see, in this relationship, God gets to be the one to choose how it all works. It's exclusive. The principles and how it is to function and guide and direct our lives He says, hands off to all humanity and all created beings. I define it, and that's it. He knows best, friends, and when it comes down to recognizing who are his, he defines that as well. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Group of people he was speaking to, and all of a sudden, his... uh, family showed up, and they wanted to remind them, because not everybody believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was sent of God, and so when I read this, it's kind of like these people are trying to explain to him who he is. It says, while yet he talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood out, desiring to speak with him, then one said unto him, Behold, in other words, Jesus, pay attention, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and he said unto them, Who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And then he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and he says, Behold, how he's saying, Let me explain something to you. You behold, my mother, my brother, and my brethren. He that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother, my sister, and mother. Jesus gets very exclusive. The whole world isn't included. It's not universal salvation, friends. We're saved by faith, grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The commandments of God that's it. That's where it's at. He wants to soul that back in our heart. He wants to write it there. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 3, that the love of God, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and they're not grievous unto us. Does it grieve us? Should it grieve us to be faithful in a relationship? Should it grieve us to be a person of integrity? Should it grieve us to be completely committed to God? Should it grieve us to be a giver and not a a taker all the time? Of course, we receive many blessings. That's great. But are we to give? Absolutely. Does it grieve us to be pure? Does it grieve us to be true and honest and bear true witness to the power and goodness of God? I hope not, because this is who God is, and this is what he wants to redo in each of our lives. He wants to reconstitute the very principles of heaven into our heart and write them in our mind. Jesus loves the sinner, friends, but he hates the sin, and he wants to heal and cleanse us. You know, I've heard I've heard it recently that people would, there's people that have actually stood in a pulpit and said that that's not true, that Jesus doesn't, Hate sin. Well, I don't think they're reading their Bible very clearly because it says right there in Hebrews 1.9 that, speaking of Jesus, that he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. My mom, I loved my mom, but my mom had a lot of challenges in her life. She was confused and she really wanted to know what was the right way in life. She was searching for purpose and meaning. And my mom had, was married to my father. She divorced, remarried again, left that man, stepped into the gay lifestyle, wasn't very happy there, remarried a man again, stepped out of that, back into the gay lifestyle. She, my mom was confused. She was really looking for purpose and meaning to life. And after I came out of prison, you know, I was praying for my mom. I'd pray for my mom night and day. I wanted my mom to have peace with God. And I remember every time we had a family event, I'd always invite my mother and I'd invite her friend. I never excluded them from any family event, Thanksgiving, holiday celebrations, my son's birthday party. I wanted my mom to know I loved her. And I I liked her friend, she was a nice lady. My mother knew I did not approve of the relationship. But not once, friends, not once did my mother ever ask me to compromise in what I believe to be the true gospel, to restore humanity, to compromise and say, I'll, I'll accept that lifestyle. I respected my mother, but I did not accept the lifestyle. My mother was okay with that. Because she understood, she understood, to ask me to compromise was to ask me to bear false witness to my creator and my redeemer. You see, friends, when Jesus comes the second time, he's coming to destroy sin. All right, I'm going to give you an illustration. Say this chair is sin. and i love my sins and i refuse to let my sins go and i see that jesus has provided a way he's provided the atonement to forgive me for my sins and that through faith in that atonement i i can have a new start and and god would look at me like i've never done anything wrong and it'd be amazing i know all of this but yet i refuse to let the sin go When Jesus comes to burn up the sin, what's gonna happen with me? What's gonna happen? Does God wanna destroy me? Absolutely not. God wants to save me. He's coming to destroy sin, friends. But if I refuse to let it go, when he consumes the sin, everything attached with it is gonna go with it. I got a phone call one evening. I was working. It was raining really hard out. I'll never forget the day. I was building a garage for a gentleman, and it was my mom's friend. And she said to me, Dennis, I know this isn't right. She says, I used to be a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. She says, I want to give my heart back to Jesus. She says, will you do Bible studies with me? I was shocked, I didn't know what to think. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. I wasn't even praying for her, I was praying for my mom. I'm Sorry, but I was really praying for my mom. I wasn't thinking about her. And she calls me. I started doing Bible studies with her. My mom was, my mom was hurt, she didn't know what to think, she didn't know what to do. I went over to talk to her, and I remember sitting there and looking at my mom, and she was shaking, literally shaking because her whole life was crumbling around her. And I said, Mom, I said, look, I said, God is good. I said, Mom, you know know me, you know how I used to be. You know everything about me. I, I didn't hold nothing back, I told my mom everything. I wasn't shy, she was embarrassed, she was ashamed, but yet she still loved me. And I know my mother was praying for me. Even though she didn't know how her life was supposed to be, it wasn't right with God, she was still praying for me. She wanted something better for her children. We always do as parents. And I encouraged her. I said, Mom, just just trust God. Just trust him with your life. I said, come on, let let me open the Bible and read some things with you. Little by little, my mom opened up. Little by little, she surrendered to God. One day she came to me and she apologized to me for the things that weren't right between us. God was working on her heart. You know, my mom got baptized, gave her life to Christ, praise the Lord. She died a few years ago, but she died with peace with God. You know, friends, whatever you're struggling with, the Bible's clear in Romans 5.20, that where sin abounds, his grace will abound much more. It's amazing grace. that is truly is. She never asked me to compromise. You see, the law of love of heaven draws the boundaries and it gives guidance to our lives. It's to give guidance to our families. It's to give guidance to our church and our institutions. To deny that guidance, to violate those boundaries, is to bear false witness to God. To bow down to the idol of the day, And to turn away from the one that loves us most. Friends, there can be no compromise with the truth. We must walk in the truth. So, the first step, we must decide that we're going to serve the Lord, be servants of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you that God's not looking for lip service, actions speak louder than words, He's looking for action. The next step, friends, to being restored for the purpose in which we were created is to have faith in the gospel that God has provided, not the one that man speaks about, that God will forgive you and you can just go on living the way you've been. I'll tell you what, if all – I grew up in a Catholic church – I was, I was baptized as a little baby. I didn't grow up in the church, but my, my grandmother was Catholic, my mother was Catholic, I was baptized when I was a little baby Catholic. And if all God could do for me was forgive me and never restore me or set me free from the things I wanted to be free from, how miserable my life would have been. No friends, the gospel, Restores fully and completely, and that's the good news that we have. That's why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel of God, because it was the power of God unto salvation to the, everyone that believed, to the Jew first and then the Greek. For therein was the righteousness of God revealed. Second Peter three eighteen tells us we are to grow, or to what? Grow in the grace and knowledge. Of Jesus Christ. That's why we were created, friends, to grow in his likeness and his image. For this purpose were we created. You know, it says in Education, page 16, that all created things in their original perfection were an expression of the thought of God the expression of the thought of God. So you could, you could look at a flower and you could study that out and you'd learn something about God. You could go over and you could look at a shrub and you could study that out in nature and you'd learn something about God. You'd look at the great oak tree and you'd study that out and you'd learn something about God. A little animal, little reptile, little insect, all of it revealed something about the thought of God for all eternity. And so we can have faith in the gospel to restore us back so that we can have that opportunity to have that face to face heart to heart communion with God faith what is faith what is faith to you do you know the whole christian world i do believe they all believe that god exists is that true god's all powerful is that true and that god's word is truth is that true Is that faith? I see you wave. Not all the Christians believe that God's word is truth. There's a lot of critiquing and criticizing. But does that constitute faith? What do you think? Do the devils believe all of that? Will they be saved? No, no. In Steps to Christ page, I think it is 63, it says not only where there's a belief in the word of God, But where the will is surrendered, the heart is yielded, and the affection set on him, she said, there is faith, faith that works by love and purifies the soul. That is this faith, she says, that will restore in man the image and likeness of God. So think about it, friends. Eternity, the earth made new, studying and growing more and more like God. Amazing thought. All right, let me ask you a question. I thought about this the other night. I woke up, and I was thinking about this whole scenario. Say it took one year to study out one square mile, a surface area on the planet. That one year, you discover all these remarkable things about God, and as you discover him, then you're, you're growing more and more into his likeness, one square mile per year. How many years would you spend on planet Earth Learning and growing in the likeness of God. I had to ask Google, <laughs> "What is the square surface? What is the square mile surface of the planet?" And I googled it. 170 or 197 million miles. If you took one square mile a year, this is amazing. It would take us 197 million years just to study out what God put here. And all that time, we're growing more and more in his likeness and image. Praise the Lord. You see, friends, this is why God has called us to serve him. This is why he has called us to be Christians. And this is why we've been separated, the rest of the verse in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, separated unto the gospel of God. Because that good news is to go to the world. We have a message that no other church has, no other denomination has. We have a mission that we've been commissioned to carry forward. Friends, it's time we fulfill our calling, for it's almost time for the Lord to come. Do you see it happening? Do you see the signs? He's coming soon i invite you to open your hymnal to 212, 212.